When are you expected to be on your feet, Balana? An obvious question her captain, Chakotay or Vorik, would ask, but the casual inquiry by Tom's father made her brain blink. Balana needed space to absorb the Admiral as family. Last week, she expected to raise morale on Voyager. Simple fantasies such as sharing feeding duties with Tom and Shell became impossible now. Thoughts disorientated, akin to adjusting for different time zones. Evading Cardassian patrol ships with the Maquis between planetary systems provided similar sensations. New uncertainties around morale's upbringing carried concern. Would it happen on Earth? The alternative could have been roaming starship corridors with Naomi and Icheb for company, with morale living a singular purpose, aiding shipmates in finishing Voyager's journey for her parents' sake. She asked herself a quick succession of questions. Why should morale live on board Voyager? What if I or Tom died en route? What would that mean for my daughter with no family ties? John Torres or Owen Paris wouldn't be alive if the ship arrived without discovering a shortcut. What could morale do after arriving? No. It's right we returned. After leaving in disgrace the last time, Belana shared no sympathy for the Alpha Quadrant, for Earth in particular. Her dad's withdrawal permitted her to ignore her human roots. The Maquis' demise and her mother's death further emphasized the lack of benefits with returning. These quick, successive thoughts reframed her life's purpose, and it wasn't enough to continue the engineer's life in Starfleet. Laden with conflicting ideas, she made a mental note to ask for Tom's and Chakotay's opinion later, after peeling herself off the biobed. She hated lying there, but it granted time to think. The doctor said, I can resume my duties in two days, Admiral. Oh no, first, you don't get to address me as Admiral. With Owen's manner candid, he waved his finger, admonishing like a grandfather would, but in a joking way. Not for my daughter-in-law. Let's not cite rank today. It's Owen, when in front of Miral. Please. Balana dealt her father-in-law a bright smile. Second, as I told our captain. Everyone from Voyager who wants it is on four months shore leave. Tom uncrossed his arms. Four months? Well, yes, what did you expect? A quick chat with the old man, some personnel transfers, and another assignment next week? Well, since you put it like that... Tom leant his backside on an available biobed. Belana understood him as acclimating as well. Once my staff finish, Voyager is in for refitting. By the manner Tom's eyes widened at his dad's decrees, Belana wondered if he enacted the same mental calculations and concluded his mobile home, lost. Though warned about his father, she considered his manner cordial. Human fathers usually soften up once they meet their grandchildren and are virtually Klingon in their relief, knowing the bloodline will continue. Bottom line... We'll list Voyager as inactive while bringing her up to modern Starfleet specs. A lot's happened these last seven years. A back muscle twitched. Miral lay still on her chest as she adjusted her position for better pain relief. At the very least, we need a baryon sweep. No doubt. So we have some work to do. Owen wrapped his knuckles on the biobed, certifying they had broken enough ice today. Well, Balana, I can see you require rest. Son, I'll inform you when I'm done with official duties. Owen's energy transferred from his cheeks to uprightened shoulders and chin, shuffling into an admiral's posture. Sure, Dad. Tom attempted to hug him, but Owen cleared his throat and opened his hand for the shake, reminding him an admiral needed to march Voyager's corridors without tears. Doors hissed open as the big man stepped backwards, displaying a twitching smirk. He waved goodbye. Tom's two favorite women received smiles. Well, I didn't expect that at all. In a soft voice, not waking Miral, Belana said, Neither did I. He's nothing like you said. 
She signaled for a kiss. Tom leaned in. I know, and I'm glad you were here. As much as I am glad, I feel like some of that Borg debris hit me. My back aches. Can I get some sleep? Captain's Log, Stardate 55025.3. My first entry in the Alpha Quadrant. After what we've accomplished today, the crew are in high spirits. We completed our 70,000 light-year journey, but we are duty-bound for the time being. We must finish the smallest tasks to safeguard what has been our home, from home. I find myself committed to a very interesting first briefing. Thirty minutes elapsed since the Admiral's shuttle docked, with extra personnel having beamed aboard. Unfamiliar technicians and equipment slid past each other in crowded corridors. Time traversing Voyager's decks lengthened. Nobody could depart Voyager and enjoy a visit to Risa or a Ferengi casino ship, yet. Before entering the conference room, Captain Janeway announced on the Tannoy, shore leave, guest privileges, and a celebratory flyby over San Francisco. One more journey before resting at Utopia Planitia. Crewman Chell boasted to all entering his culinary domain. He intimated to guests how the Delta dinner featured. His posturing convinced himself the Federation president might attend. Fresh food spoils. Antimatter fireworks will always be with us, he declared from his galley. In the conference room, hosts arrived, making brief introductions. Chakotay had asked Seven and Icheb to prepare reports on Borg technology. He sat furthest away from the screen and hoped Starfleet wouldn't project their doubts onto them. He didn't wish them to experience the mistrust he encountered, like when he quit as academy instructor to join the Maquis. Both admirals smirked upon learning about Voyager's bounty. When the presenters concluded their demonstration, Paris caught Janeway turning to him for his response. Fine presentation. Thank you for sharing. Time invested into Project Pathfinder has paid off. When I share this report, engineers at Starfleet will no doubt keep you busy with further questions. Well done. Mitchell's aide made notes in his pad as Owen rubbed his neck from staring. I want to ask a personal question, if I may. Yes, sir. Seven crossed her arms behind her back. You may, Admiral. I'm interested in knowing what you want to do now. Captain Janeway and Commander Chakotay pulled identical faces, raising eyebrows and faced those standing. Admiral, I wish to stay aboard Voyager. I can use my skills to assist the work crews. I have not decided on anything longer term. Chakotay couldn't decipher her tone. Paris considered her words, and his eyes switched to Icheb. With your permission, I will attend Starfleet Academy. Janeway gauged the Admiral's reaction. Yes, I received your Captain's recommendation letter. I understand you've completed the Academy's entrance exam with Mr. Tuvok. I'm not against this idea, son. Admiral Mitchell concurred. You'll be fast-tracked with the material. You'd also be the first cadet from the Delta Quadrant. Janeway desired clarity. She asked for privacy and thanked each and Seven, asking them to help with the handover. Admiral Mitchell ordered his aide to wait outside. Admiral Paris's seated posture loosened, and he explained his fondness for Janeway's crew, and thankful they nurtured his son. His department will look after Voyager in return. His voice flipped to Sirius, describing the gut punches the Federation and Earth endured during the Dominion War and the last Borg incursion. Thankfully, your people experienced nothing we had to deal with. There is some fortune to your misfortune. He motioned to Mitchell. You see... Pathfinder separated us from what concerned other departments. They dealt with the repercussions from the war. 
So while we have the utmost trust and concern for your crew... You don't speak for the rest of Starfleet. Correct. They don't know Voyager. Command will be jittery with ex-Borg drones and Maquis on their proverbial front doorstep. Chakotay reminded their guests the Maquis weren't a threat and had also performed in their duties to help deal a crippling blow against the Borg. Admiral Paris allowed Janeway's first officer to speak freely. I sympathize, but habits die hard, Commander. The previous demilitarized zone is a fresher, awkward mess for the new Cardassian government and ourselves. Owen gestured with his large hand upon seeing Chakotay about to interrupt. There have been new wounds cut into already open wounds. The Dominion ruined Cardassia and those former colonies. Starfleet can't predict what will happen when the DMZ, all the way to Bajor, receives news of Maquis serving... Leaning forward, he corrected him. We're not Maquis. Owen allowed the declaration to diffuse itself and waited. You don't have to tell us, son. We understand. Chakotay recognized the impasse and relaxed. He displayed a small, appeasing smile. Paris addressed his former science officer from the USS Albertani. Now the Borg and this crippling blow. I don't want to wait for your written report. Catherine, kittenish, explained. If I understand this right, the hollow emitter carries your entire program and the storage capacity must equal Voyager's. One of many engineering questions O'Brien asked, with the EMH leaning into him as close as etiquette allowed, answering all his questions. The Doctor had escorted Professor O'Brien and Commander Barclay to Holodeck 1, allowing them to examine his mobile emitter. Three men stood in a scrum, surrounding a holographic work table created for themselves. Sickbay remained out of bounds. He downloaded himself into ship's systems, instead of needing both men jab at his arm. Replication isn't possible. An adamant O'Brien scratched his chin. Well, at least it's provoked my conceptions about holotech. Barclay leaned into his ex-colleague from the Enterprise, with an encouraging smile. Hmm, I'm sure you'll start something. Do you have the specs? Why, of course, Professor. The digital physician bowed, enjoying the attention. Starfleet Medical should also be this welcoming, he thought. O'Brien dismissed with his hand. Oh, I've never got used to Professor. Call me Miles. Miles it is. The EMH accepted with a smile and slight nod. O'Brien asked for his name as the Mark I clicked his emitter onto his arm. It's a long story. Suffice to say, I don't have one yet. The Irishman scoffed and folded his arms into his chest. Huh. Tell me, Miles, how do you understand so much about holographic technology? He took a deep breath. Well, we had a Mark III at the Academy until recalled. I told them our Mark III, disused though it was, worked fine. He leaned forward to share an extra detail. Top brass disagreed. And straightened his spine while reporting how engineers delivered a Mark IV. But after five months, it was also recalled. Voyager's EMH expected stories of failures with the Mark I. Ah, I see, and... Well, I also worked with Dr. Zimmerman's prototype Mark II. Miles still spoke, and the doctor's attempt at an interjection failed. Reg stood between them, silent. Excited at the recognition of his father, the doctor forced his next question. You've worked on a Mark II? O'Brien rested against the table unconcerned. His posture didn't acknowledge the magnitude, with having met the doctor's entire digital dynasty. I've worked with every model. I'm astonished. Reg, why didn't you mention this? Reg opened his mouth, but no words exited. A nameless EMH turned to O'Brien, abuzz with more questions. And you met Dr. Zimmerman? With another Mark I? 
Sure a bit of an awkward fella to work with. Zimmerman, I mean. His heart is in the right place, though. That's describing him too kindly, Miles. Reg said, while staring at his feet, pondering. The Irishman hopped from the table, moving closer. Originally, they chose Dr. Bashir for the Mark II's appearance. Then they chose someone who looked like a bloody file clerk. It was a visual downgrade. Luckily, DS9 sickbay isn't compatible with Federation tech, so we never used one. Yes, I met a Mark II also. Oh, Reg, Moriarty. Miles interrupted the Doctor's story of how he rescued a Starfleet vessel from Romulan agents. Moriarty? The Doctor furrowed his brow. Oh, Moriarty, it hadn't entered my mind. It's been so long. Reg lifted his head at the hollow character's mention. We encountered a hologram modeled as an adversary to Commander Data. The Moriarty character from the Sherlock Holmes novels gained sentience and commandeered the Enterprise. Miles laughed. Moriarty, huh? That program is still running, right? Barclay smiled, widening his eyes. He forgot where the cube with Moriarty and Countess Bartholomew resided. I've heard of this Moriarty. How- Miles interrupted again, and one-upped Reg with a story about meeting Vic Fontaine. Frustrated, and feeling like a bystander in his own conversation. He realized his self-awareness as a hologram lost its uniqueness amongst the two-man audience. The bruising to his ego lessened, knowing the hollow emitter belonged to him, and he wasn't limited to living in a cube or a replicated bar. Both environments were no better than where his program started. Miles and Reg wisecracked their recounting of hollow adventures, having never done so until today. The Doctor considered himself added to their list, while observing an excited Barclay losing his stutter. Miles turned to the holographic Doctor without paying attention to his facial expressions. If you drop by Deep Space Nine, both of you would get on great. With who, exactly? His reply feigned interest. His name is Vic. Ask at Quark's bar for Hollow Program Bashir 62. Don't let Quark overcharge you either. O'Brien, stern, pointed his finger as he mentioned the Ferengi. The Doctor computed an awkward history existing between this Irishman and the proprietor. The Doctor pondered to himself. These holograms have such illustrious names. That's the hologram's name, Vic Fontaine, reiterated O'Brien. Well, if I ever make my way to DS9, I'll try to look for this Vic. Though gracious in accepting, he wanted to dismiss this suggestion altogether, as humans were too liberal in their recommendations. Most didn't measure to the hype. Tom Paris kept doing it. The EMH indulged O'Brien. So, what does Vic do? Is he a professional also? Or an artistic genius because he's unconstrained by the physical, like myself? Ah, you could say so. He's a lounge singer. He's a lounge singer? The doctor replied incredulously. He's a lounge singer? Reg said with encouragement. He's a lounge singer. The doctor realized on second thought. He's also a bloody good counselor. Uh-huh. Admiral Paris rested his pad on the table. There isn't a temporal prime directive, but I see no better reason for its creation after hearing your account of events. The implications are far-reaching. Janeway watched the burly man's fingers slide the pad to Mitchell. It's an appropriate irony, sir. Tell temporal investigations this was predetermined. He grinned and turned resolute. As it stands, you've only committed a temporal violation, offset by destroying a large part of Borg infrastructure. Janeway and Chakotay nodded together. The Borg's intentions are clear. It's us or them. We won't lose sleep over what you accomplished today. The Admiral referred to both Janeways, not the two officers opposite him. In finding a shortcut, you brought back a larger issue for consideration, but 
You've granted us a technological edge over our adversaries, and... And at what cost to the ethical structures that maintain her? Posed upright in his chair, with fingers resting in the crossed position, Owen nodded. Catherine leaned in. I decided there wasn't another way. Admiral Mitchell responded. For the crew or for your pride? Her neck recoiled and she blinked her eyes. I ask with no ill will towards your command ability. Fact remains, if you arrived without Admiral Janeway's help, you'd travel through time again, doing exactly the same thing. Janeway accepted Mitchell's conclusion, summarizing her paradoxical circumstances. Part of me did it for me. I won't deny that. Catherine. Paris's soft tone drew her attention to him. Neither of us can presume what you've been through. But once we leave, these reports go to Starfleet Command. You realize what that means? She pursed her lips in a stoic fashion. Duly noted, Admiral. Captain, you went beyond the call of duty today. Top brass should commend you both. But you know the drill, even after seven years. Owen elevated the mood. His humorous quip ended an intense gathering. He tucked the pad into his hip as their guests vacated their conference seats. If there is nothing else, we'll take our leave. Everyone agreed. This discussion ran its course, but Chakotay reminded both men of the Delta dinner. With the automatic doors sucked into the walls, Mitchell said they'd attend, but couldn't confirm what time. His aide returned from outside and collected the Admiral's pads as they exited. Catherine reclined in her chair, thinking through permutations, inconsiderate of the temporal violation. Chakotay stood in between the cooling, empty chairs. Concerned? About temporal investigations? My concern is for this crew. We're home, but it won't mean I'll stop caring. The room belonged to them, but she leaned forward and lowered her voice. What about you? You must think you're in the Viper's den. He loosened his grasp on the headrest, and the cushioning exhaled. Even all these years together hasn't prepared us for these next few days. I'd be lying if I said it hadn't crossed my mind. We'll have to wait and see. Janeway held his shoulder with a firm grip. We'll wait together, Mr. Chakotay. He grinned, and she reminded him they can perform their flyby as soon as the admirals disembarked. He acknowledged and left the conference room. She walked to the window. Her convictions dissolved into the vacuum as she stared at the promised symbol of their return. Starfleet Command wanted more than Voyager safely home and have any passing vessel or citizen holding a camera to observe her. They preferred to announce Voyager to the rest of the Federation, to share the ending to a 70,000 light-year journey. Not since Captain Archer returned to Earth after destroying the Zindi weapon did Starfleet celebrate a returning crew with such fanfare. A second lone ship came back home under exceptional circumstances. Security Chief's Log. Stardate, 55026.2. Pathfinder personnel have taken everything we collected from the Delta Quadrant. My department reported no breaches and performed their duties as expected. Tomorrow, Voyager will journey to Utopia Planitia for her refit. Mr. Tuvok entered Janeway's ready room, carrying a report on Voyager's status. Catherine, engrossed in another pad, acknowledged, setting it to the side. I'm nearly finished, thank you, Commander. The Vulcan at attention stared at the wall. He thought it curious how her ready room lacked adornments. He sensed a change. The signature coffee smell had dissipated. Tuvok's perceptual scan drifted to Earth's presence. I know she isn't as dry as you'd like, but not bad for a Minshara-class planet, hey? Janeway had finished reading. 
While I am fond of your homeworld, this is not my ultimate destination. When I stare out as you humans, I don't see home. I see a familiar neighborhood. I have another 17 light years. She aligned herself to stand, facing the window with Tuvok. Her hand cupped his shoulder. Even if it meant something different to them, both officers looked at the cloud-laden blue ball. To be honest, I forgot this isn't everyone's home. If I could grab this ship and travel to everyone's part of the quadrant, I would. I promised this crew. Catherine considered on her lounge seat, facing away from the prize outside. Ensign Wildman. She's traveling all the way to DS9. Tuvok stood and raised an eyebrow. Signaling with her eyes, she pointed at the pads on her desk. They are the last reports for the next four months. Tuvok's pad rested on top. She looked across the room, intending to review it. When you promised to return this crew home, I didn't imagine you as a chauffeur. You of all people have earned a break before we're given new assignments. Her eyes concentrated on the rectangular devices. I'll never settle. That much is clear with Admiral Janeway's intervention. But let Starfleet complete the task. Tuvok didn't register his direct hit, unknowing of Catherine's shoulders carrying the burdens distressing her counterpart. Janeway changed the subject. Have our Pathfinder friends disembarked? Part of her wanted to leave with Admiral Owen and embrace her mother and sister. In between all the items requiring her attention, she had made time to video chat and explain she'd transport down and be with them tomorrow. Yes, the last transport occurred five minutes ago. They were surprisingly efficient. Well, that's Admiral Mitchell for you. Janeway rose from her relaxed position. And I believe we're ready to break orbit. Yes, Captain. As a precaution. I asked visitors to confine themselves to crew quarters or our mess hall. They'll have a spectacular view either way. How do you feel about our next mission? I appreciate this gesture, taking Voyager down to the surface. Otherwise, this is a human custom I... Captain, I believe you're attempting to tease me. You already know my thoughts on such rituals. She slapped him on his shoulder, revealing a grin. Come on, let's not keep them waiting. He followed with a raised eyebrow. A hurried atmosphere awarded the bridge new vitality, and Catherine welcomed its ready state. Tuvok acquired tactical as Janeway received the bridge's center space. Lieutenant Paris relayed Earth stations had granted the all-clear. Tuvok to all crew members. We're preparing to enter Earth's atmosphere. Go to Blue Alert and report to Code Blue stations. I've plotted and laid in our descent course, Captain. Satisfied, Janeway grabbed her chair, instructing Tom to proceed. Let's attend our coronation, shall we? Yes, ma'am. Voyager shifted orbit, flying into a night sky, enveloping San Francisco. Tom's updates grew as the loudest voice on the bridge. Atmospheric controls at standby, inertial dampeners at maximum. Voyager's hull radiated heat, entering the upper atmosphere. She rumbled under the pressure. Outside, vibrations echoed louder than the normal background hum. What's our status? We're on the glide trajectory. Our altitude is 100 kilometers. Speed is 10,000 kph. I've also compensated for turbulence. A newborn baby will sleep through this. His commander raised his voice. For your sake, I hope that's true. Tom pulled a face, hoping as much. Catherine moved from her armchair and steadied herself towards Tom. Fine job, Lieutenant. But you'd think Gaia would be happy to greet us. Voyager descended low enough beneath the West Coast skyline. The view screen displayed lights outlining San Francisco's peninsula. The illuminated outcrop contrasted against the gulf's blackness and bay on either side. Take us on the diagonal over Palo Alto. We'll ascent over Treasure Island. 
Eyes fixed on his controls, Tom said, Are you looking for a specific hot dog stand? Hot dog stand? Never mind. Janeway smiled. She knew better than to engage with Tom in early 20th century culture. She relaxed in her seat. Did you know, Commander? 400 years ago, Captain Kirk cloaked and landed a Klingon bird of prey in Golden Gate Park? Chakotay adjusted himself in his center, leaning closer. No, I didn't. How did he chance upon that? He told Starfleet he'd be bringing humpback whales. Chakotay's face crinkled as she toyed with him and let him sit with the story for a second. He looked relieved when she said she'd tell him after. The Intrepid-class starship leveled off at an altitude of 1,000 meters, sailing over urban areas surrounded by a perfect night sky. City lights illuminated the underside of Voyager's hull as she approached. The ship's metallic skin shined like a Klingon Daktang cutting through the sky. Tom, slow our speed to 500 meters per second. Let's give everyone a good look at us. Lieutenant Paris tapped his controls. How close do you want to cross the span? Closer than Kirk? Closer than Kirk. Came the assured reply. Crowds lined up, witnessing the most remarkable ship in the fleet. From their point of view, losing Voyager became a minor tragedy, turning into a triumph. Its re-emergence represented the Federation's perseverance and resolve. Two years ago, the Federation won the Dominion War. Today, a lone starship completed a journey unfathomable for people to comprehend. Onlookers collected together near the shoreline to catch a glimpse. The most advantaged, those with the closest view, stood shoulder to shoulder on San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. District authorities arranged for anti-matter fireworks. Their explosions ignited around the starship as she neared. The light show lasted longer than the actual maneuver. Voyager displayed her presence measured in seconds, arriving on time at the celebration's climax. If anybody blinked, they'd miss this moment. Luckily, there were enough cameras recording the event. Voyager's thrusters and vibrant elation rocked the city. People cheered and waved as the craft approached. Voyager descended, slowing on approach towards the greatest symbol of early human engineering. Tom considered this his one chance. The Golden Gate's bridge and twin towers rumbled under the breath of thruster engines and launched her through the cloud cover into orbit. Catherine, from her chair, announced to her helmsman, Tom, that was a little too close. Tom opened the blanket on his side of the bed. Medical clearance allowed Bellana to move to their quarters. She opened her eyes as his weight squeezed the mattress. Aren't you going to the Delta dinner? Uh, you're tired, right? I'll stay here with you. Also, my dad mentioned we can live in his house. That's nice. Well, he's a nice person. That's a sudden change from you. Well, he changed. Tired eyes held enough strength to question his words. He leaned on his side to convince her. First contact went right. I'm sure about him as I am about you. Tom kissed her head and relaxed on his mattress for the last time. Miral slept on Balana's chest. Before dozing off, he murmured how the Delta dinner would be a couple of speeches and they wouldn't miss much. For outstanding services as operations officer, it's my utmost pleasure to grant the rank of full lieutenant. Congratulations, Lieutenant Harry Kim. Crew members and families attending laughed and shared applause as his collar accommodated a second pip. Catherine waited for the noise to quieten. It's long overdue, I'll admit. And if the promotion wasn't today, it would be never. She raised her hand and lowered her voice. And I'm on shore leave tomorrow. 
Harry's efforts these past seven years caught up to him. He stood dazed in the presence of everyone. He focused on smiling, thanking his captain, and listened, embarrassed as Janeway thought about when she met the bright-faced ensign. She shared a story, with how he nearly broke his back in her ready room, forcing himself to attention. She repeated the line to him again. Mr. Kim, at ease before you sprain something. Harry noticed himself repeating his error. He smiled and relaxed. His captain timed his promotion well. His parents and a journalist from the Federation News Service stood on the periphery of those assembled. The celebration hosted a group of Starfleet personnel, three ambassadors, and San Francisco city officials. Harry spied Reg and O'Brien clapping as his eyes focused on his elders standing by the mess hall windows. A tear skated across his cheek upon glimpsing at his mum and dad contrasted against Earth. Now would have been appropriate for the doctor to digitize this mental picture for him. He had returned home, and in style. Tom informed Harry he and Bellana wouldn't attend. He excused his friends because nobody knew about the promotion. Commander Chakotay shared his first meeting of Harry, in Voyager's sickbay, while he suffered from a deadly disease. He made light of the fact, but also praised Mr. Kim's, against the odds optimism, throughout their seven-year journey. Janeway stepped forward. One last thing, ladies and gentlemen. I'd also like to give a huge thanks to Crewman Chell, our resident chef these past few months. He's created a fine selection of food. The Delta dinner involved drinks and speeches in the mess hall. Chell's catering assistants converted the cargo bay into a food hall so as to accommodate everyone. More applause filled the room, acknowledging the chef as he helped himself to deliver the speech he found time to write. He conformed to how Bolians didn't sense intimidation with public speaking. With attention diverted away from Harry, he joined his parents by the window. This is the finest present we could receive. We're so relieved. Mary Kim said, her face full of tears. Of course, your mother and I are very... The best part is you have plenty of time to visit family. Mary interrupted. Mom, you made plans for me already? Can you blame us? We're so excited. I was going to say that. John Kim added. Janeway halted Chell's speech with her own announcement. She saved the crowd, patting him on the shoulder. Don't hold back on those canapes. Thank you again, Chell. As crew and guests left for the cargo bay, Janeway's communicator chirped. Mr. Ayala informed her Admiral Patterson was en route. His ETA, ten minutes. Good. She relished her chance to share a pop quiz and told Chakotay she'd like him to accompany her. There's always one more official duty. His timing is impeccable. He grinned, ready to exit, but Harry's parents caught their son's captain's attention. They thanked both commanding officers for bringing back their only child. Chakotay shook hands. As emotions subsided, Harry comforted them, with Chell offering to escort the Kim family to the dinner. Chell finished his escort duty, instructing the Kims on which foods to try first. Harry said he'd take it from here. The blue chef jumped in front of Miles O'Brien, holding a plate of something the Bolian told him was the closest thing to mutton. O'Brien didn't talk, but mustered agreeable sounds as he ate. Mm, mm. Chell proceeded to explain how Federation starships inside the last century phased out civilian caterers. You'd have to serve on a Constitution class to work in a kitchen. Miles swallowed his mouthful and informed him. His mother cooked real family meals. They exchanged a smile, acknowledging their love for authentic food. This is good. Lieutenant Barclay stood nearby, unbeknownst to Chell, hesitating to sample his offerings. He satisfied himself with drinks, talking to his holographic companion and Seven about recent advances in medicine. We should arrange a trip to Starfleet Medical. I'm sure they are dying to meet you. The doctor rolled his eyes. Huh. 
It's a shame none of them are dying to be here. Well, they're probably busy. Too busy to meet the foremost doctor from the Delta Quadrant. I have no answer for that. Barkley shrugged, turning his attention to Seven. Seven, what will you do? Assist with Voyager's refit. They will require my expertise. Come now, Seven. There's more to life than Voyager. The doctor stressed, setting aside his own concerns. Yes, don't you have family? Reg pointed, holding his drink. I have an aunt on Earth. With an encouraging smile and raised brows to make his point, the hologram said, So, wouldn't it be prudent to visit her first, before traveling to Mars? I suppose so. He placed an encouraging hand on Seven's arm. Seven, you're ready to leave this ship. It will be fine on Earth. I know, Doctor. I've already contacted my aunt and will visit tomorrow before the refit begins. She feigned anxiety, trapping both men. She saluted with her cake, eating a piece. The EMH, with a reluctant gesture, toasted to her game. The dinner celebrated arrivals, but also departures. Crewman Mortimer Harron had accepted an offer from the Institute of Cosmology. Nobody expressed surprise towards the selectively ambitious man. Tuvok engaged lecturers from Starfleet Academy. Admiral Paris asked faculty staff to attend to meet and accept Icheb's entry into the institution. The USS Sovereign entered orbit, placing itself in a parallel trajectory above Voyager. Longer and sleeker than the Intrepid class, Sovereign-class starships are the new top-of-the-line vessels, a considerable advancement over previous, though still prestigious, galaxy class. The Sovereign dwarfed Voyager, as planet Earth did to Mercury. This class of ship served in deep space exploration and first contact missions. The USS Sovereign, stationed at Utopia Planitia, served as a test vehicle for new technologies. Today's assignment, to ferry an admiral, the endeavor was a simple trip around the block. Doors to transporter room one swished open as captain and first officer entered. Have you ever met Admiral Patterson? No, but I've heard of him. He's a lot more huggable than people know. I'll take your word for it. Chakotay grinned at the mental image as they entered the transporter room. Do you think he's brought coffee? Who knows? Though being honest, I'm tense. It's been so long. She placed her hand on her stomach. Do you have your pop quiz questions ready? She wagged her finger. Only the easy ones. Receiving coordinates now, sir. Admiral Patterson is requesting permission to beam aboard. Informed the transporter chief. Permission is certainly granted. Janeway held her stomach again, trying to quell the anticipation as molecules glowed and vanished. The transporter pad captured the third personal welcome of an admiral. Theodoric Patterson, shorter and plumper in stature to Owen Paris, exhibiting a polished, whitened beard. He oversaw Starfleet's ship construction programs. Catherine noted he looked older than expected, and his posture appeared rigid. His arms behind his back held something. You're late. Janeway remarked. What is... Never mind that for now, Katie. Patterson's abruptness cleared the room of expected pleasantries. I regret to be the one to inform you. You are hereby relieved of command. You're to face a general court-martial. Details are here. Janeway's face flushed as Patterson thrusted a pad into her hands. He addressed her executive officer. Commander Chakotay, all Mackie crew members are to be discharged from active service. Their rank and security privileges are abrogated. As of this moment, Voyager is under my command. If you enjoyed listening, please tell a fellow Trekkie 
leave a review or a star rating. You can also download my other Star Trek podcast. Link is in the show notes. If you'd like to be a Patreon for just $2 a month for early access to episodes, exclusive extras, or just contact me, check the show notes for more information.